This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Let's enjoy the talents of Frank Lovejoy as he portrays Randy Stone, a tough and streetwise reporter who worked the night beat for the Chicago Star looking for human interest stories. He meets an assortment of people, most of them with a problem, many of them scared, and sometimes he was able to help them. Sometimes he wasn't. Generally regarded as a quality show, it stands up extremely well. Frank Lovejoy isn't remembered today, but he was a powerful and believable actor with a strong delivery, and his portrayal of Randy Stone as tough guy with humanity was perfect. Scripts were excellent, given that they had to cover much in a short time, and there was a good supporting cast, too. Orchestra, sound effects included. Tonight's episode is called Larry the Understudy. Frank Lovejoy in... Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Mostly I write about people, a great commodity, all kinds of people, tall, short, honest, crooked, hopeful, and hopeless. You stand on the corner of State and Lake at noon and they rush by you like an unchecked avalanche. You buy a ticket at Soldier's Field and you see them again, a faceless, nameless mass of humanity, shouting, shoving, pushing. They all look alike when you see them that way, in the aggregate. But take them one at a time. Watch them when they're worried or scared. Listen to them when they brag or weep. Listen well, don't jump to conclusions, and maybe you get yourself a story. That's my job. It was a brutal, hot night. It was too hot to hang around the city room, but the street wasn't any better. The air stood still, and so did my mind. I was as devoid of inspiration on what to tell my alleged readers as I was on ideas on how to keep cool. The seersucker suit I'd bought in the hopes it would give me a Princeton air only made me look like a wilted bookkeeper. I stood on the corner in front of the paper to take off my coat when a voice called from a parked car. Hey, Stone, get in the car. Take you for a little ride. Hmm? I turned around and the voice came from the back seat of a conservative job. A robin's egg blue limousine, and it belonged to Mushy Sindel. A dapper little hood who muscled into crime between repeal and keepover. I wouldn't say he's the most powerful racketeer in Chicago, but when he calls for you personally, well, it's not considered polite to refuse. So I got in, and the car nosed its bulk into traffic. How do you like my new car, Randy? It's real George. Hey, it's cool in here. Naturally. 
You think I'm going to sweat my brains out? <laughs> How'd you get it so cool, Mushy? Refrigeration. With a humidity like it is outside, you got to use refrigeration. Got to be careful with refrigeration. You know, too much, you catch cold. You see the schedule over here? What do you think? Thermostat. I even control the temperature. Hey, that's terrific. You're down right. Nothing but the best. If you got the dough, you can buy anything. If it's hot, you cool it off. If it's cold, you heat it up. If you like something, you buy it. If you don't, you pay to get rid of it. <laughs> Simple as that. Money talks. With you, it yells murder. <laughs> You're a kidder, Randy. A real kidder. You come a long way, Mushy. In the old days, bulletproof cars. Now, heat-proof. <laughs> With me, same difference. I'm a pretty good kid of myself, huh? Well, that depends. Where are you taking me? I gather you didn't pick me up just to cool me off. I hope. Ah, you're smart, Randy. Get right to the point. That's what I like about you. And you're cute, too. Where are we going? I'm going to give you the break of your life, kid. I'm going to let you scoop every paper in town. Oh? You're going to let the government look into your safety deposit box? <laughs> You're a riot, a real riot. Yeah. <laughs> and I've enjoyed the ride, and I'm all cooled off now, and I've got a living to make, so if you'll have handsome up there in the front seat, stop this armored icebox, I'll dig up a story. Relax, Stone. Relax. It's all taken care of. I got your story. Now, we'll get out here. Here? This is the old Empress Theater. So what? Now, don't tell me that you're making book in the lobby. Now, you know it ain't legal to make book anymore. Yeah, I know. I just wondered if you knew. Look, Randy, I laughed at your bum jokes, but this crack ain't funny. It ain't, ain't even friendly, see? I see. Okay, then. We go inside. The Empress Theater had been dark for months, and judging from the deserted lobby, as I followed Mushy, it was still dark. But as we got inside, I discovered there was a rehearsal going on. The pit was full of musicians. The electricians were experimenting with lighting effects. And on the stage, no less than 50 dancers were doing a chorus number. Mushy sat down in the aisle about midway in the house, and since it was cool there, so did I. Watch those kids dance. I bought me the best dancers in Chicago. You see those guys in the pit? Real long-hand musicians playing a winner for those uh, symphony things, you know? Like I told you, money can buy anything. Mushy, are you bankrolling this show? So what's wrong with that? Baby's got talent. You want her to die on the vine because she ain't got a showcase for it? Baby? The doll. Shh, shh, wait a minute. Here's our piece. Wait till you see her. Wait till you see the crashes. This is going to open your eyes. Mushy was right in his appraisal of baby's talent. When she was on the stage, you weren't likely to close your eyes. She was a big girl, very blonde, and poured into a more off-than-on practice costume. She couldn't dance, that's for sure, but I'll give her this. She was willing to please. Baby didn't need a showcase for her talent. Baby needed a runway. <laughs> that's great, baby. That's wonderful. Wonderful, sweetie, wonderful. <laughs> well, Randy, now you've seen her, what do you think? Eh? Oh, that's uh, quite a girl. <laughs> then I tell you, then I tell you. Where's the story you brought me in to get? Baby. Baby's a story. You're going to plug in your newspaper, see? Everybody in Chicago is going to know about her. When we open next month, she's going to be a smash, and then we go on to New York. Wait a minute, Mushy, know? Mushy, hold it. I don't do that kind of thing. You want George Davis. He handles the drama page. Him, I don't know. You, I do. 
What do you want? What do you want, huh? How much? Name your price. Well, I'm flattered, Mushy, but... It can't be bought, huh? Now, don't give me that. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> well, come on, come on. Name your price. Well, you shut up up there. I'm trying to talk. Hey, Joe. Go on with a rehearsal, huh? You can't, Mr. Sindel. What do you mean you can't? You're the stage manager, ain't you? What do you think I pay you for? Well, I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Sindel, but we've done everything we can without Mr. Jerome. Jerome? You mean he didn't show up for rehearsal? Oh, he showed up. They poured him out of a taxi. Sleeping now in the dressing room. So I wake him up. Do I have to think of everything? Got a bum on the stage. Well, I, I'm afraid we can't. He he won't see light of day till tomorrow. Oh, no. Why it'll mushy Sindel get through with him? Mushy charged up toward the dressing rooms, followed by a nervous stage manager, followed by me. I was curious to see him buy his way out of this situation. But he didn't get beyond the stairs to the stage. He was stopped there by one of the chorus boys. Please, Mr. Sindel, I know the dance. Out of my way, get out of my way. But I'm Mr. Jerome's understudy. I know all the routines, all the numbers. If you'd only let me do it just this once, just for tonight. Well, understudy, huh? You can do all the numbers, all the routines? You bet I can. You can, huh? All right, then what are we waiting for? Hey, Joe! Oh, no, you don't, Mike. Oh, now, baby. I'm not going to dance with no amateur. I'm tired. I want to go home. My feet hurt. Now, baby, don't forget. We're opening in a month. We got to be good. We got to mm. practice. If this kid can dance with you, it'll be one more rehearsal. You'll be that much better, you see? You don't want that bum Jerome to steal all the notices, do you? Oh, much. Now, go on, yeah. baby. Dance with a kid, will you? What do you got to lose? Thank you, Mr. Sindel. You don't know what you've done for me. Not to mention what he's doing to me. <laughs> The orchestra hit it and the lights dimmed. As they came up again, Baby and the understudy were discovered on stage, curled up on a big native drum. And they went into the number. It was painful to watch. Baby was way out of her class. She was way out of her class because the boy was great. How great, I didn't realize until he did another number and another and finally a solo. was a blues number, low down and melancholy. And it could have been just that, just the dance routine, but he made it more, much more. He made it into a lament for a lost people. And yet, in it, you could feel promise and hope. I'm not one to go wild for tripsickery, but the way this boy danced, he made it something intangibly sensitive, yet he gave it guts and virility. He could have made a stevedore understand what he was trying to say. Yes, and even Mushy Sindel. Mushy was watching the boy with a look on his face I'd only seen him wear when one of his nags was out in front. When the last bar was finished... And it was a spontaneous thing. Performers, stagehands, the most hard-boiled audience in the world applauding and cheering. Yes, sir, a real success story. The boy took a bow and he was grinning from ear to ear and then he ran into the wing. Oh, what do you think, Ronnie? Huh? What do you think? Oh, he's got it, Mushy. I'm going to make a star out of that kid. Why, he'll be the biggest thing on Broadway in the movies. I'll make him so famous he'll even be driving a car like mine. Hey, Joe! Hey, Joe! Oh, where is that stage manager? You can never find anybody. Joe! Here I am, Mr. Sindel. Uh, hey, Joe, come here, come here. Get that kid. I want to sign him up. Exclusive contract. Oh, I'm afraid you can't. What do you mean you can't? We'll dump Jerome. We'll start a kid in his place. But you can't. Who do you think you're talking to? I can do anything. So Jerome makes a stink. I bought off his contract. I want that kid. I don't care what it costs, what we got to do. I want the kid. Now bring him in here. But that, that's what I've been trying to tell you. He's gone. What? 
He quit. What are you talking about? He can't quit. But he did. Two weeks ago, I gave him his notice. Tonight was his last night. Well, why didn't you tell me before? Well, I didn't think it was important. He was just a chorus boy. And you let him get away. Why, you stupid, idiotic, crazy, no-good numbskull. I decided not to wait for the bloodshed. I walked across the stage and was on my way to the stage door exit when Baby intercepted me. Look, you. Oh, me? Yeah. Don't go making like a lost and found, huh? Don't get any ideas about bringing that kid back here. He's gone. He's happy. I'm happy. Just leave it late. Oh? You didn't like his dancing? You kidding? It was terrific and you know it. Oh, I see. It's the competition that bothers you. Look, newsboy. With Jerome, this turkey will be stuffed. But with that kid, she'll be a hit. And that means... That means I gotta sweat in the spotlight every night and soak my feet when the show's over and watch my weight. Is that better way to live? I don't get it. Mushy said that he was putting on the show for you. Oh. That mush. He don't have any brains. He thinks I belong in show business. But believe me, I've had my fill of show business enough to hear. I've done my time. Five a day. Now all I want to do is relax. And I want to get fat. And I want to wear my mink coat and cook for mushy. Maybe that little jerk will marry me. So, so don't go bringing that kid back here, okay? <laughs> it's okay with me. But you better check with mushy. <laughs> It was an interesting slant on the theater. A gangster bankrolling a show for a girl who didn't want a career. But if I knew Mushy, she'd have her career no matter what it cost. And it was even money he'd have the understudy signature in a contract before the night was out. It was a newsworthy little item, but strictly for the drama page, and I still had a story to find. So I waved goodbye to Mushy. I walked out the stage door into the alley where the stage manager was cooling off after his bout with Mushy. Who's he yelling at now? Ah, uh, the uh, orchestra leader. You know, this is the last time, believe me, that I'll ever manage a show for anybody like him. That ignorant little little Oh, Mushy is all right. He's all right. He'll calm down when the kid comes back. How did I know a thing like this would happen? Why? I'd never have accepted his notice. Love to see that kid's face when he finds out they want him to replace the star. Oh, he knows. He knows? Yeah, that's what burns me. The doorman tells me that he stood right there in the wings and heard the whole thing. He heard Sindel say that he'd make him a star. And then he just walks off and leaves me holding the bag. Who is this boy? Oh, just a hoofer, a nobody. Name's Larry Wilson. Why, he hadn't worked in months until I give him a job. But didn't he say why he was quitting? Didn't he uh, say anything? Well, not to me, he didn't. Saved his exit line for the doorman. What did he say to the doorman? Well, I'll give it to you verbatim. Not that it makes any sense. He said, and I quote, Just think, Pop, I could have been a star. Could have been? Verbatim. Could have been. NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. This coming Monday, thousands of children will be going back to school. Four times a day, these children will be walking to and from school. You are urged to be careful, to be watchful, to be safe. Statistics show that in one year's time, 61,000 children were killed or injured by motor vehicles. Watch for children darting out from that blind spot between parked cars. Watch for them as they get on and off school buses. Watch for children playing on the sidewalk and crossing the streets, going to and from school. Remember this slogan, 
A child may dare. Drive with care. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. What started off to be the cliché of the understudy had twisted its way into my line of fire. My curiosity was aroused, to say the least. What was Larry Wilson like, and why had he quit? It was easy to find out where he lived. The doorman had his address, along with the names and addresses of all the kids in the chorus. It was a theatrical boarding house on Gordon Street. A tired, mildewed-looking place with a landlady to match. Her name was Mrs. Dick. If you've come about a room, I got one, but it ain't ready yet. I'm not looking for a room. I'm looking for one of your rumors. Oh, oh, you some money, huh? Well, take it from me. It won't do you much good to done them, any of them. They're show people. Well, I just want to talk to one of them, a boy by the name of Larry Wilson. Oh, that one. A real creep. Take it from me. Oh? In what way? Keeps his room clean. I go in there, there's never anything lying around. Clean like a tomb. Dancing. What sort of a job is that for a man, dancing? Well, this is all a very interesting character analysis, but I'd like to talk to Mr. Wilson if you'll call him. You're too late. He's gone. He's gone? When he come back here tonight after the rehearsal, all flushed and excited, danced up the stairs, mind you, whistling. If the world wasn't gone to pieces and people didn't have trouble all over. I told the people in this house are like a quiet, respectable place. I think they were a cage full of monkeys, the way these show people carry on. Yeah, uh, about Mr. Wilson. What about him? He's gone. Well, where'd he go? Well, how would I know? I'm the last one who knows what's going on in my own house. I've been like a mother to these kids. I took care of them, fed them when they had the money to pay. And when they get a break, they just walk out on me. I said to him, I don't suppose we'll be hearing from you now that you've got your break. And he said, I won't forget you, Mrs. Digg. Bless you, Mrs. Digg. That way he's got. What way? Oh, humble, I guess you'd call it. Well, he's got that humble act down pat. <laughs> if I may make an observation, you don't seem to like Larry Wilson. What good does it do to like any of them? You wait on them hand and foot, and when they get a break, they move out on you. You keep talking about Larry getting a break. You mean the show he's been rehearsing with? Oh, not that, no. Well, that ain't good enough for him, apparently. He's leaving town, probably going to Hollywood. Oh, he told me about him offering the lead tonight. Oh, take it from me. You can't believe these show people when they shoot off their mouths. Well, you take it from me. It's on the level. They offered him the lead, and he turned it down. See? What'd I tell you? He's got something better up his sleeve. He's going someplace grand to live where it'll cost him a lot more than here. And after I treated him like a mother. But do you have any possible idea where I could find him? Well, he might have asked her. Her? Dan Dugan. He was always lollygagging around after him. Now, where does Jan Dugan live? Well, she lives here, like all the rest of the unemployed actors in town. Oh, well, would you call her, please? I can't. She's not home. She don't get home till after 11. Well, do you know where I could find her? Sure, she's on the corner. It's a ham and egg. She slings hash there. Something no decent girl would have done in my day. Take it from me. Yeah, I uh, take it you've been a mother to Miss Dugan, too. Just how do you mean that? Well, if I tried to be explicit, I'm afraid you'd be insulted. Well... Chicago's unemployed thespian slammed the door in my face. The mother vulture, that is. I walked out of the corner where the white enameled ham and egg gleamed in the shabby neighborhood like an elk's tooth on a dark vest. It was five minutes of eleven. There weren't many customers in the place. 
A dark-haired waitress was pinning on the cap and apron that was starched as stiff as celluloid, while a fragile blonde, about to go off duty, gave her a rundown on who had been served and who hadn't. I sat on a stool. The brunette waitress started to serve me. Ah, uh, no, the blonde young lady, please. Me? But I'm going off duty, sir. Is your name Jan Dugan? Yes. I'd like to talk to you if I could about Larry Wilson. Larry? What about Larry? Well, my name is Randy Stone. I'm with the Chicago Star. He's hurt. Something's happened to him. Has he had an accident? Is that it? Oh, no, no, no. It's nothing like that. I oh. I just want to ask you some general questions about him. I'm a friend of Larry's. Oh, all right. If you'll wait for me out on the sidewalk, I'll be right out, Mr. Stone. I sat on the fire hydrant in front and waited for her. It's funny, I'd only exchanged a few words with her, but instinctively I felt this girl who was swinging hash because the theater hadn't found a place for her would one day be a great actress. Not because she was theatrical, she wasn't. She was plain, simple and unaffected. She looked you right in the eye when she talked to you, and you could see it shining there, back of her eyes. Sincerity and depth. I'm sorry I kept you waiting, Mr. Stone, but I'm not allowed to leave until the stroke of 11. Mrs. Diggs says you're an actress. Well, I think I'm an actress, but I haven't proven it to anyone else. I thought we could talk for a minute. Shall we walk back to your boarding house? Oh, no. Bad enough to have to sleep there without being there when you don't have to. Yes, I know. I've met Mother Dig. Oh, what about Larry? You said you were a friend of his? Well, it's not exactly accurate. Let's say I'm a fan. I've never met him, but I saw him dance tonight. You saw him dance? Yeah. Didn't you know he went on tonight for Jerome? That they'd offered him the lead in the show? Did they? Oh, did they really? He'd have been on his way to being a star, but he turned it down. Mrs. Diggs said he must have had another offer. Yes, yes, another offer. Oh, I wish I could have seen him. You you say he was, was good, huh? He was magnificent. Oh, I knew he would be. I, I've never seen him dance, but he talked to me about it. and Well, I've talked to him about being an actress. Sometimes you just have to talk about it. It's like you're starving, and if you don't talk about it, you'll die. Did Larry feel that way about dancing, I mean? Oh, no. No, but then, of course, Larry was different than other people. He loved to dance, but he didn't need it. Like, I need to act. Larry was... Well, I, I guess you could say Larry knew where he was going, so he was never afraid of failure or success or, well, anything. Why past tense, Jan? It's like you were saying Larry's gone for good. I'm trying to get used to it. Must be a pretty hot deal he's got. Seems he walked out on everything, even you. He never was in love with me, Mr. Stone. Don't get that idea. And he couldn't help it that I was in love with him. Oh, he talked to me lots of times about it. He... He tried to get me to go out with other men, but just wasn't any good. Well, I didn't mean to probe, Jan. I'd, I'd like to talk to Larry. Do you know where he went? Yes, I, I can take you there. And oh, when you see him, will you give him a message for me? Why don't you give it to him yourself? Oh, no, I'd, I'd be afraid I'd cry, and I, I wouldn't want to do that. All right, Jan. What's the message? Well, tell him, tell him this afternoon when we said goodbye that. Well, I said a lot of things I didn't mean. Tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I've thought about it, and, and I'm trying to get used to it. Tell him I won't ever forget him. We walked down the street two or three blocks. She didn't look at me again. My mind was churning with the bits and pieces of the jigsaw that was Larry Wilson. I felt the frustration of a jigsaw addict who's searching for that last piece to complete the puzzle. 
Yet I couldn't ask Jan Dugan any more questions. I didn't have the heart to. Here we are, Mr. Stone. Here? You'll find him in there. She ran into the darkness, and I stood and looked at the gray stone building with its stained glass windows and cross. St. Michael's Church. But it wasn't in front of the church we'd stopped, but at the rectory. I went up the sidewalk and knocked at the door. An elderly priest opened it. Yes? Oh, excuse me, Father. I'm looking for a young man by the name of Larry Wilson. I was told I could find him here. Come in. In here, in my study. It's comfortable here. Thank you. Larry Wilson. Sit down, young man. Sit down. Thank you, Father. And uh, what did you want to see Larry about? Oh, is he here? Yes. He's in the church. No, 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 no. no don't go in. Uh, tell me, young man, what do you want to see him about? I want to give him a message. A message now? Yes, from a girl named Jan Dugan. Jan Dugan. And uh, what is the message, if you don't mind telling me? Well, I I, uh, I don't exactly understand it, but I gather that whatever he's going to do is okay with her. Uh, a good girl, Jan. Um, and is all, that all you came for, young man? Uh, no, not exactly. See, Father, my name is Randy Stone. I'm a newspaper man. Uh, I'm afraid I came out of curiosity. It's a good thing, curiosity, within reason. And what is it you're curious about? Well, I caught a rehearsal tonight uh, of a show. I'd, I saw Larry Wilson dance. Did you now? And how was the lad? Well, he was brilliant. That's the only word for it. He could have had the lead in the show. He could have become a star. Star? You mean famous like the Kelly boy out in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, a stare, or a bulge. He's as good as any of them. Uh. It's a great profession, dancing. Brings joy to the heart of the dancer, and it spills joy out over to everybody that watches. And you say Larry was good, and that he had what it takes. Oh, that and more. But he ran out. That's what I'm curious about. Why does a dancer, one who can dance like he does, quit when success is right there? No, no, hold it, hold it. Don't go jumping to conclusions, Larry. Larry didn't run out. He made a decision tonight. And I might add a very difficult one. I don't follow you, Father. When a man has a talent, it's a gift from God. He should cherish it and develop it and, and give it to the world. It's a lucky man to have a talent, but Larry... Well, Larry had a problem. You see, he had two talents, and he couldn't follow them both. He had to give one up. The choice had to be from inside. It had to be right. And tonight, he made that choice. What, Father? What other talent? Oh, didn't you know that? Why, Larry's gone to school. He's leaving tonight for the seminary. Seminary? Yes. Larry's going to become a priest. For the second time, I had no words. I picked up my hat and said thank you and good night. I walked out of the rectory down the sidewalk, and there waiting for me at the curb was the blue armored icebox and the man who could buy anything, Mushy Sindel. Well, Stone, you took your time coming up. How'd you know I was here? I had my boys tell you when you started asking questions about this Larry Wilson. I know you'd track him down. You find him? 
Yeah, he's in there. Ah, right on a church, huh? What a bomb do? Cross me and sign up with some other show? Uh, yeah, something like that. I wouldn't go in if I were you, Marcy. I'm afraid he's not available. <laughs> what do you mean? Everybody's available. For a price. Well, I don't know. I'll lay your odds you can't buy off his sponsor. He's signed for a long run. No. Just watch me operate. He says in there, huh? Yeah. Okay. You coming? No, no, I've, uh, I got a story to write, but call me later at the paper, will you, Mushy? Huh? I'd like to get your reaction. People, the city's big commodity. Trying to figure one of them is like trying to figure the races. You call it one way and they run the other. Mushy Sindel, he was easy to figure. He followed a pattern right down the line. But baby, now there was a twist. Who'd pick her for a frustrated house frog? And Larry Wilson? I'll never see anybody dance again without thinking about him. The boy who made the choice between the glamour and the glory. Copy, boy. Frank Lovejoy is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by John and Gwen Bagney, with music by Robert Armbruster. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Conrad, Gigi Pearson, Shep Mencken, Ruth Parrott, and Victor Rodman. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the sometimes cantankerous Fred Allen and the show that first aired in 1952. Margarine and Tender Leaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, Mr. James Mason, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarcos, Al Goodman, his orchestra, and Kenny Delmar. Ladies and gentlemen, statistics show that today American colleges are crowded worse than ever before. Tonight we present a man who never went to college. And he still has no class. He's Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Portland, I heard your news scoop at the opening of the program there about the colleges being jammed. Oh, Mama says it's a good sign. Colleges being crowded is a good sign. Mama says if enough people go to college... They'll get smart. Everybody will know what Philip Morris smokers know. You really? <laughs> now, do you mean in just uh, four years you could acquire that? Huh? Say, I wonder... I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how many packs of Philip Morris's you have to smoke before you know it all. Well, Portland... <laughs> I should have quit when there was nothing going on. 
Well, <laughs> well, Portland, apart from food conservation, what is in the news this week? Somebody invented a meat substitute. It's called a Truman Burger. Oh, I saw that. A Truman Burger. I saw that. I wonder how they make a Truman Burger. Well, I... Don't let this get out, but I got the recipe from Charlie Luckman. This is the recipe for the Truman Burger. The president puts two slices of bread on the piano, and then he plays one meatball. It's funny. Today's food is so important. What's funny? Well, they used to throw it at actors. Well, that's what chased Jack Benny out of vaudeville, you know. Who? When they started to can it. Reminds me. Did you hear Jack Parr this week? You mean the mad, mad thing? Uh-huh. He said you were so old, Boy Scouts had to help you across the street. Well, I hope that got a better laugh on Pa's program where he could... He uh, said you were mad at the younger generation. Well, Brother Pa may be a member of the younger generation, Portland, but he's telling the older generation's jokes. But enough, enough about the male Joan Davis. <laughs> this is getting to sound, you know, the, the East may fight the West before this. This is, this is uh, uh, getting to sound as though the program was coming from another network, which it may any minute the way it looks. I think I had better start for Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, this week, as you may have read, the Better Business Bureau is completing its 25th year of service. Thousands of cases of fraud in real estate, stocks, and other get-rich-quick schemes have been prosecuted. And so our question tonight is, have you ever been swindled by a disciple of sharp practice? Shall we go? As the man said when his wife grabbed his money at the racetrack, you bet. <laughs> Back in Allen's Alley, Portland, Senator Claghorn's gavel is on the front steps. I guess he doesn't give a rap tonight. Well, uh, well, let's knock. Who is it? I say, who is it calling on old Senator Claghorn? Oh, it's you, well, son. Senator. Speak up, son. I've got to hop to it. I'm busier than a pump handle during a temperance picnic. <laughs> you... I'm uh, writing a book. Writing a book? Well, Senator Wiley of Wisconsin wrote a book called... Laughing with Congress. Yes. My book called Chuckling with Claghorn. Chuckling with Claghorn. I got one joke in my book. It's about the farmer. His land was so poor, he had to spread it with fertilizer before he could raise a frost on it. Do you mean that? Well, that's a belly whopper, son. Start hooting and hollering. Yeah? Lean against something and watch your buttons pop. Now, wait a minute. Look, Senator, about this fraud business, have you ever been swindled? Well, son, back in 42, I was rooked to a fairly well by the slickest flim-flam and Tom Pepper that ever wore sideburns and bear grease on his hair. Well, how... This is one man you're describing now. Uh, how did, uh, How did... <laughs> how did he cheat you, Senator? Well, I was running for office. This thimble rigger says... Flag on, if you want to get in, I'm your man. He could fix the election? I had a ballot box with a fire going in it and built in votes. A fire? As they were deposited in the ballot box, a fire burned up all the other candidates' votes. And the built-in votes? They were all for me. You, uh, you couldn't lose. I was going in like Happy Chandler at a ball game. Oh. <laughs> 
bought 200 ballot boxes with the built-in vote from this Jack Legg. Yes? The day of the election, something went wrong. With your fake ballot boxes, you didn't go in? I went in, son. Yes? I went in for 30 days. So long, so long, Well, that probably explains the senator's pallor. Well, I wonder if Mr. Moody's still up. Howdy, Bob. Have you ever been the victim of a fraud? Why, only once. Uh, what happened? Well, one time I had to go up to New York to buy some new sport jackets for my scarecrows. <laughs> well, I was gimping up Broadway with a big wad of money in my shoe. Uh-huh. And the fellow, fellow wearing a checkered suit and a jazz bow tie, he pulled me into a doorway. I see. He says, Charlie... How'd you like to have security? Security, huh? Yeah. He says, Charlie, how'd you like to own your own toll bridge? <laughs> your own toll bridge? Yeah. When they're coming across, he says, Charlie, they'll be coming across for you. You, uh, you... <laughs> you fell for it? Yeah. I took off my shoe and I give that oily cuss all my money. For nothing? Well, he gave me a blue uniform, a whistle, a rocking chair, and a collapsible turnstile. A, tur- <laughs> a turnstile, eh? Took me to a bridge. It was uptown, 175 streets. 170? Why, that's the George Washington Bridge. Uh, named for a president. Yes, it was. I, uh, <laughs> I set up my turnstile, sat back in my rocking chair, and started blowing my whistle to collect my toes. What, uh, what happened? Why, cars kept shooting by me. Nobody stopped to pay nothing. You were on the New York side? Yes, yes. What did you do? Well, when I closed up my turnstile for lunch, I walked to the other end of the bridge. Uh-huh. And I seen right away what the trouble was. Well, what was the trouble? Three fellas with turnstiles at the other end was collecting all the tolls. <laughs> at the Jersey end? And it only goes to prove... To prove what? If you're thinking of opening a toll bridge across the Hudson... Yes? Don't open up on the New York side. You mean the money? The money is all at the other end? Yeah. People will pay anything to get out of Jersey. So long, <laughs> Titus has something there, and he's sure welcome to it. Well, let's, uh, let's try this next door. Hi, big kiddo. Mrs. Nussbaum, have you ever been involved in a swindle? Only once. Uh-huh. Like a greenhorn, I'm getting hoodwinked. Well, how? I'm seeing advertised the contest. Uh-huh. Write a jingle winner cash prize. Oh, do you write music? Do you? Mostly ballads. Oh, but what... <laughs> What are some of your ballads? It shouldn't be nothing fancy. Just a little grass shack on the Lancy. <laughs> I, uh, I see. I am sending you best wishes with this little dish of knishes. Very <laughs> And then I wrote... Then you wrote... <laughs> a herring, a hacienda, and you. Well, that's not... What, uh, what about this jingle contest? I am writing, remember, the letters F-M-E for Farfel, Noodles, and Epstein's Tea. Lindy's Restaurant saves all three, Farfel, Noodles, and Epstein's Tea. 
Tell me what uh, what happened when you mailed in your jingle. Monkey business is ensuing. <laughs> My jingle they are taking. Someone stole it. They are altering abyssals. Well, how do you how do you know? Tonight I'm turning on my radio. I'm hearing. Remember the letters F M E. For flavor, nutrition, economy. Now, wait a minute. Wait, why, that's a direct steal. What program was it? Who knows? Just as I'm listening, you are knocking on my door. Thank oh. you. <laughs> well, that brings, us, that brings us to the little shanty at the end of the alley. Talk with Vyshinsky for eight hours. What could you possibly talk to Vyshinsky about? Oh, we had one thing in common. One thing? I couldn't understand Vyshinsky. And? Vyshinsky couldn't understand me. <laughs> well, tell me, Ajax, have you ever been the victim of a hawks or a swindle? Well, no, not personally, me boy. But a friend of mine was homogenized through the mail. <laughs> The milk of human kindness was soured in his veins. <laughs> Who was this friend? Dr. Prentice McGee, the famous surgeon. Oh, I've heard of him. What happened? Well, a nefarious operator of a bucket shop in Brockville Center. Yes. He sold Dr. McGee sight unseen a Texas oil well. Well, where did the swindle come in? Well, the minute Dr. McGee bought the oil well... He started receiving urgent telegrams collect from Texas. Important messages? Oh, the first one said, Send $2,000. Derek fell down. The next? Send $3,000. Drill is bent. And then? Looks like a gusher. Send $5,000. Need battles. <laughs> well, after the doctor sent all this money for his well, what happened? With the suddenness of a crescendo, the telegram stopped. Oh, gosh. Oh, the doctor called in the FBI. Yes? The well was non-existent. So the doctor lost $10,000 in the phony well. Oh, sure, it served him right. How come? The doctor should take care of the sick and let the well alone. Good morning. <laughs> We turn to greet the five DeMarco sisters, ably abetted by Maestro Al Goodman. DeMarco sing Kate. Girl? How much longer must he wait, Kate? Till you let him know his fate. Hey, Kate! The sun's down, the moon's out, there's no one inside.
ladies and gentlemen, a few hints for assorted weather. Rain or shine the year round, the all-purpose, always appropriate beverage is delicious tenderleaf tea. And the way to get even more pleasure from it is in tenderleaf tea balls. That's why tenderleaf tea balls outsell all other kinds. They are America's favorites because they are better in every way. The best part of it is that all these advantages are so practical in daily use in your home. The flavor of the tea comes first, of course. And that's famous for flavor tenderleaf brand tea. Richer, more fragrant, more delicious. The crisp, clean, white individual packets are tasteless filter paper. That gives you convenience, efficiency, ease in serving, and flawless, crystal clear tea in your cup, filtered as it's made. Keep a supply of these better tea balls on hand for every occasion, for family meals, for guests, and especially for those dark blue days when you need quick comfort in a hurry. One tenderleaf tea ball in your cup, boiling water, and there you are. Yes, for every good reason, ask for a tenderleaf brand tea ball. Just a sample of Almost Like Being in Love, played by Maestro Al Goodman and his U.N. Orchestra. U.N. meaning Union Nudniks. (laughs) Say, uh, Portland. Yes? Will you keep things going until they get the horses set up on the Manhattan merry-go-round? Where's my beret and my bamboo cane? Are you going out? Yes, I have to run over to see James Mason. I've written a movie for Mr. Mason. You know, it may be his first American picture. How did you ever get James Mason to go into your picture? Well, if you won't let this get out, I'll tell you. Last Tuesday, I finished writing my scenario, and I started over to the Mason apartment. This must be the place. I guess Mr. Mason is at home, too. This sign on the door says, Odd Man In. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll knock, see what happens. Hello, Fred. Well, James Mason. James, I, uh, I haven't seen you since you were on my program last June. What have you been up to? Well, I spent a very nice summer out on the island. On the island? Long Island? Coney Island. (laughs) You spent the entire summer at Coney Island? Yes, it was thrilling. Thousands of people milling around on the boardwalk. Millions of people sitting on the sand and on each other. (laughs) Did did you go into the water? They have water there? (laughs) Oh, yes. I must tell my wife. She will be surprised. Oh, yes. Some Sundays at Coney Island, it's so crowded, the tide uh, can't even come in. The tide has to go over to Far Rockaway and come in twice. But tell me, what, uh, what else have you been doing? I attended the World Series. An Englishman at the World Series? Did, uh, did you like it? Yeah, I've never, never had such music in all my life. Music? Yes, Guy Lombardo's orchestra, excellent. And the way that Lucy Monroe sang your national anthem, it brought me to my feet. It did, really? What, uh, what happened after Lucy finished singing? Oh, a lot of chaps in bloomers started running around. <laughs> There's no more music, so I went home. Well, tell me, while you were in the park, did you try one of our American hot dogs at the park? No, no. To me, a hot dog on a roll looks like an Indian's finger lying in state. <laughs> did, 
uh, didn't you eat anything at the World Series? As I was leaving the park, the whole Brooklyn crowd was yelling, Cookie. <laughs> cookie, and you didn't turn back? I never eat dessert, old boy. <laughs> James, I'll tell you why I'm here. Now, you, you haven't been working lately, have you? No, not in pictures, but I've been on several radio programs. Oh, really? What uh, programs? Well, I appeared on Take It or Leave It. Well, how did you make out? Just as I was about to try for the $64... Yes? Some chap in the audience shouted, You'll regret it! <laughs> you, re you tried for the $64? Yes. And what happened? That chap in the audience was correct. <laughs> You regretted it? I also regretted the giant jackpot. You regretted it? <laughs> Tell me, were you on any other programs? I'm going to be on another program this week. Oh, with uh, Jack Eigen? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't come to that, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little thing called Information, Please. Oh. I'm worried about answering those questions. Oh, it's nothing, James. I've been on Information, Please ten times, and I don't know anything. Yeah, but with me, it's different, Fred. Different how? I'm stupid. <laughs> well, look, James, if you want to be able to answer every question on that program, why don't you try my system? What's your system, Fred? When I'm on Information, Please, I go to the studio ten minutes early. I walk in, hang up my hat, go over to the guest table, sit down in a big chair, lean over to John Kieran, and I say, John, what do you know? <laughs> well, by the time John Kieran gets through telling you what he knows, you can't miss a thing on that program. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. I'll try that. Well, now, now let's get down to business, James. I, uh, I have written a picture for you. Now, I'm only good in certain types of stories, Fred. Well, I sense that, James, and my picture is definitely for you. It will be bigger than I married a zombie. Ah. <laughs> What's the story about, Fred? Well, the picture opens with a fanfare. J. Arthur Allen Pictures Limited presents James Mason in The Perfect Crime. I am Norbert Nottingham, known to Scotland Yard as Nobby the Nark. <laughs> Sitting here in Old Bailey waiting to be hanged, I cursed the fate that sealed my doom. I had planned the perfect crime. Something went wrong. What? That day at home, after I'd worked out my crime in detail, I rang for my faithful houseboy, Chung. Oh, you Ling or Mr. Nottingham? Yes, Chung. Sir Stafford Pipps, the inventor, will be here any minute. Oh, very good. When he comes, Chung, I want you to go out into the garden and peek through the window. Oh, very good. Chung, I'm going to kill Sir Stafford. When the police arrive, you will be grilled. I want you to say that you saw Sir Stafford come in, place a paper on the table, take out a gun, and shoot himself. Do you understand? Oh, Chung, you recap. Chung, go outside, peek in the window. Please grill Chung. Chung says Sir Stafford put paper on this, take out gun and shoot self. You won't forget. Not a China month to change. My alibi was perfect. I knew I could depend on Chung. There was that little affair at Limehouse he'd rather I didn't mention. <laughs> Three o'clock. Sir Stafford would soon arrive. He was bringing the plans of an invention that would make me the richest man in the world. Someone was at the door. It was Sir Stafford. I'll open the door, Mr. Nottingham. Cat! I thought it was the maid's day off. 
It was too late to turn back. I had to commit the perfect crime. And now, King Sir Stafford Pips. Oh, Nobby, old fig. Sir Stafford, old prune. <laughs> Have you brought the plans? Oh, right, oh. This is my greatest invention. Here are the plans. I'll take those plans, Sir Stafford. I say, Nobby, put down that gun. Ah! <laughs> The perfect crime had been committed. The plans were mine. Quickly wiping off my finger, I placed the gun in Sir Stafford's hand. The maid opened the door. Mr. Nottingham, I heard a shot. I know. Blimey, it's Sir Stafford. It's suicide. You better call the police. Righto. I chuckled as I heard the maid on the telephone. Operator, help! Holy suicide! I laughed as I heard the police on my radio. Summoning all vehicles. Summoning all vehicles. Calling Detective One Long Pan. Suicide at Norfolk Nottingham Residence. Calling One Long Pan. Oh, greetings and shalom alakam, Detective One Long Pan, Oriental Dick Patrice on job. Chababa, chababa, chababa. Long, long pan sure to get you lover. Chababa, chababa, long pan, long pan and good voice tonight. Make Perry Como take promo. Long pan. <laughs> Oh, I say, old boy, will you stop that singing? Who, who are you, little man? I am Norbert Nottingham. What do you do here, Mr. Norbert Nottingham? I live here. Very good. You have two dollars. You like to try for four? <laughs> this is ridiculous. You look at it. Oh, look at it. Long time solve crime and no time. What is uh, confidentially what, uh, what, uh, what is crime? Sir Stafford Pips has been shot. Very good. Long panelist you, Mr. Norbert Nottingham, for shooting Sir Stafford Nips. Sir Stafford shot himself, you nincompoop. He, he committed suicide. Suicide. Likely story. Oh, Mr. Nottingham. Oh, ho, lady in the loom. Long pan, Shoshé La Flemme. <laughs> Don't be silly. This is only my maid, Martha. You, you come a little closer, baby. Long pan, long pan give you fast frisk. <laughs> your hands off me. You ain't no osteopath. You, you fess up, Martha. What, uh, confidentially, what, what happened? I was in the kitchen cleaning a bloater. I was just reaching for the bloater's appendix when I heard a shot. Very good, very good. I ran into the study. Sir Stafford's deader than me bloater. He's done himself then. Precisely. <laughs> now can I show you to the door, Long Pan? Not so fast, Mr. Nottingham. Long time first examine body. Oh, ho, you see, in Sir Stafford's hand... What? A la wallowa. You bet, long pan, unless you again, Mr. Solberg Nottingham, for murder, Sir Stafford Hoosie. But I tell you, I didn't kill him. I can produce an eyewitness. Who? Who is eyewitness? My houseboy, Chung, he saw everything. Oh, you knowing Mr. Nottingham? Oh, ho, China boy, Lansman. Oh, Lans <laughs> I told you I had a perfect alibi, Long Pan. Long Pan, not entirely convinced. Story sound like bloater, practically fishy. What did Chung say? Chung say you sent him out to tend the garden. That's right. 
I have two meat-eating plants. I told Chung to put napkins on the plants before he served their lamb chops. Very good. Chung, you, you in garden, what, uh, what, what you see in garden? Uh, Chung, peek through window or Sir Stafford come in a study. Sir Stafford, very good. Oh, Sir Stafford put paper on this. Very good. Oh, Sir Stafford pull out gun and committed suicide. There's my alibi, Long Pan. Holy smoke. Chung, Chung, oh, Chung, oh, Chung, you see plenty through window. Oh, you bet. Oh, Chung, some kid, oh, peeking Tom. <laughs> long time make had live long time funny bunny should be on radio oh. get the big hooper oh okay 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 break it up pipe down pipe down boy joke over joke over boy what's wrong long pan long pan unless you miss a nottingham sword and final time for murder sir stafford hips but why should i kill sir stafford this plan on a table long pan only now just now catch on you see plan x equal y plus double root divide by z multiply hypotenuse plug in wall you see plan for super duper a magnet dad you understand it long pan no schmo long <laughs> long pan graduate cc and y <laughs> Magna cum laundry. <laughs> Long time fly by night, beta kappa. You fetch up. Motive magnet. Yes, it was to be the biggest, biggest magnet in the whole world. Very good. Pointed from England in the direction of the United States, the magnet would have drawn all the gold out of Fort Knox. Holy. <laughs> Holy. More. So Stafford was giving it to Ernie Bevan for Christmas. <laughs> Ah, but you, Mr. Nottingham, you kill Sir Stafford to use Magna Ketchum Gold yourself. You plan, you, you, long time catch you, you fetch up. But what about my alibi? Chung saw everything through the window. Chung say nothing. Alibi, phony baloney. You mean? On window is Venetian, you see, Venetian blind. To look through Venetian blind, must see through straight crack. But Chung... Chung, China boy. China boy, eyes slant. Impossible with slanting eyes to look through straight crack with Venetian blind. Give up, Long Pan. You're too much for me. Confucius say man who use Venetian blind for alibi, shady character. <laughs> Confucius spell backward, Joe Miller. Oh, oh Long Pan, hot tonight. Can you top this? Long Pan, oh, oh Long Remind you to remember Blue Bonnet March and tenderly tea on your shopping days. I want to thank Mr. James Mason for his visit tonight. Next week, our guest will be our good friend Jack Haley. Thank you and good night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Quiet, Please, followed by the Aldridge family. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.